Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In your notes, number one, Paul begins each of his letters with the phrase, grace to you. So if you go through every one of his letters, he begins them somewhere in the first five verses with that phrase, grace to you. And about half of them, he ends the book with the phrase as well. I'll just read a few of those to you. Romans 1, 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church to the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace, 2 Thessalonians 1-2. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So I won't go through all of them. You got the point? Every letter that Paul writes, every epistle, he begins it with that little phrase, grace to you. Number two in your notes, was grace to you merely a meaningless Christian greeting? Like, how are you? Do you know what I say when you say to me, how are you? I say, hi. (laughs) Uh, That's just sort of my rebellious nature uh, because I don't really think that most people who say, how are you, really want me to tell them how I am. The natural response, the normal response, the cultural response is, fine, how are you? Fine, cool. It's easier just to say, hi. (laughs) It is not quite as long, you know, as how are you, fine, how are you, fine. And so, occasionally, just for fun, somebody will say, how are you? I say, are you asking about my health, my marriage, my spiritual life, my financial life? What particular life are you wanting to know how I am? And when I say that, like that, they'll usually look at me like, you're weird. (laughs) Again, it's just sort of my rebellious nature kind of reacting to that cultural greeting of, how are you? And so, grace to you. Paul says in every letter. Is that just sort of a thing they did back then? Instead of saying, how are you? They said, grace to you. With just a greeting, not much meaning. Uh, Was it significant? It's in the New Testament, and we say regularly that every word is inspired, inerrant, uh, profitable, Number three, Paul's use of grace to you was a blessing, which was a very common Jewish practice. So there's lots of verses in the Bible on blessing and what that means and how it applies to us and the giving of blessings. And so uh, grace to you was a blessing to the people whom he was directing it to. Genesis 27 
Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. And uh, so you recognize that story, I'm sure. Jacob and Esau, brothers, and Esau was the favorite. And so Isaac says to him, go get me some game and I'll bless you. You're the oldest. You were born first and so you know the story, Jacob tricks him and uh, gets the blessing instead. And it seems to be a big deal uh, to, the, to the sons and to Isaac, this blessing. And so as you read in the Old Testament, you regularly see uh, Joseph having his sons blessed by Moses, uh, or excuse me, by Isaac and uh, Abraham blessing, various fathers blessing their sons. And uh, it was something they did, and the question is, does it matter? Or is it just routine? Is it just culture? Is it custom? Just a nice thing to say with not much significance to it. In Numbers, the Lord spoke to Moses. So this is right from God, speaking to Moses. Speak to Aaron and say to his sons, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. I then will bless them. Now that's a pretty cool deal. I know of a fair number of pastors who will pray that very prayer at the end of the services that they have and uh, or uh, will do the benediction in the sense of and they'll quote that and they'll do it as part of the service I never have because I can never remember it and uh, but it's a pretty cool little blessing the Lord make his face shine on you be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance countenance on you give you peace he said and the Lord's instruction were when the Levitical priests do this with the nation of Israel, then I will bless them. And so, grace to you was a blessing. Similar to that, Ruth, in the book of Ruth, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. So it appears it was a little custom there of how you greeted and then responded to the greeting. May the Lord be with you. And then you responded by saying, may the Lord bless you. Number four, blessing was a short prayer on behalf of another person or people. It would be if we are done with the service tonight and we start milling around chatting and I were to reach up and put my hand on your shoulder and say, Lord, would you please bless uh, Craig and give him strength and guide him and show him your perfect will in his life and help him to catch lots of steelhead. Amen. Uh, so that would be a prayer on him. It wouldn't be long, and it would be in the form of an interaction. Don't even have to bow your head or close your eyes. You just would. But it'd be obvious that it's a prayer for you in regards to a situation or circumstance that you were in. Um, so maybe we should start that little custom of praying for each other 
instead of saying, how are you? You've probably already guessed that that's not my favorite thing to say, so prayer would be better. Number five, the closest thing to this practice that we do in the United States is to say, God bless you. I was kind of curious. I just Googled, uh, God bless you, and sneezes to see what came up and how did that get started. And uh, there were several stories, but the one they thought was most accurate was way back in the Middle Ages when they had the bubonic plague, Black Death. One of the symptoms that you uh, early on would demonstrate that you had the plague was that you would sneeze a lot. And so they assumed that if you sneezed, you had it, and if you had it, you were going to die. Uh, it had a fairly high mortality rate. And so when somebody would sneeze, they would say, God bless you, or God heal you, or God give you strength, various things. And it just carried on as a tradition. And so when I sneeze, people will, I was in a Home Depot store where I didn't know anybody, and I sneezed fairly loud, and about six people all around said, God bless you. I felt quite blessed. <laughs> and uh, so th this, that would be similar to what Paul did, a short blessing uh, tradition. Number six, there's great power in intercessory prayer that is not meaningless. So meaningless means that little thought, uh, not real uh, connection, Mentally, with the person you're praying for, when something is done in such a way, repetitiously memorized so that it becomes just tradition with no meaning behind it. And I'm sure that grace to you, from Paul's perspective, could have become that way, or any prayer that we would pray for people in our life could become that way. Uh, I was in a church a number of years ago where they, as part of their service, would recite the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I was chatting with uh, one of the associate pastors in the church, and he said, do you do that in your church? I said, I don't know if most people in my church could even do it, uh, in the sense of recite it. Maybe they could. Uh, so why don't you? Well, uh, let me think. I can give you some theological answer. Maybe I can just tell you the truth. <laughs> the truth is, I don't have a clue why we don't do it. Never thought of it. I never did it growing up and never was taught it. So, so, but I think that probably if we did recited it every service, it would become meaningless simply on the basis of the repetition, repetition. Anytime you can do something without thinking, you tend to do it without thinking. And as soon as you do it without thinking, uh, repetition, it becomes meaningless or the purpose for it is lost because there needs to be some sincerity involved in praying it if it's going to make a difference. So number six again, there is great power in intercessory prayer. Great power. Just the fact that God said, teach them to pray this little prayer and then I will bless them in response to it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, same book, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Always laboring earnestly for you. That's intercessory prayer when you pray for someone else. 
laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, so that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So, you know what hyperbole is? Hyperbole is when I say, you say, I was fishing. Oh, I caught a billion. Did I really catch a billion? You know I didn't catch a billion. I'm saying I caught a billion just as a statement of I caught a lot. But that's just an an exaggeration to make a point is what a hyperbole is. So, that you may stand perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Is that a hyperbole? Doesn't look like that would be a place to put it. It's not logical, but it is extreme in the sense of he labors earnestly for you that you would stand perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect. Do you remember we had a sermon on that? That doesn't mean sinless. It means mature, grown up like Christ. James says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so it's a phrase that means grown up, where you ought to be in character to be like Christ. And so Epaphras prays that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, if that's a prayer that God would answer, that is a very powerful prayer on behalf of others. And in Colossians, just a few verses down from where we started this evening, verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray. We have not ceased to pray. Now, that's a lot of praying. We have not ceased to pray for you, for you, for you. That's intercessory prayer. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's not a little spiritual wisdom and understanding, not some. It's all so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, to please Him in every detail of your life, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So you, you know this, I've re- I share it all the time. I have in my iPad a prayer app called Prayer Mate. A guy from England invented it. That's why Prayer Mate name. But it's a great app. I've got it. And I have all of your names in my prayer app and most of your pictures. And so I go through that list uh, every week. Now, some people that I pray for, relatively new in the church, I don't have a clue who they are. I hunt them up on Facebook, uh, and I have a couple of other little apps that are the kind of things that detectives get to find people that are, uh, you know, they want to spy on. I bought some of those, and so I can put your name in there and find out information about you in case you need to do that. Anything I can find, I put in my prayer app under your name. And so I gather information. My wife says, you're a stalker. Uh, What's a good motive, though. 
Uh, anyway, I put the information in there, and so I go through that every week, every week, every week, and I pray for everybody in it. And I memorize this prayer in Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and I pray that regularly. Uh, you know, the content of that prayer is amazing, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding uh, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of him to please him in every detail of your life that you'd be strengthened with all power for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. Uh, those are all incredibly noble things to pray for. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knew what Peter was going to do in denying him three times, but he, he said to Peter, I prayed for you. And so he said, when you have turned, it wasn't if he would. And so Jesus had confidence in the prayer that he prayed on Peter's behalf. Number seven, what was Paul praying for exactly when he said grace to you? What's the content of that prayer? It's, it, uh, it's nice to have short prayers that mean a lot. So obviously Paul was praying that as a blessing every time he wrote the letter. Grace to you and peace. <clears throat> Number eight, the word grace has numerous definitions in the New Testament. And one of them is God's blessing. God's blessing. Now we tend to have one definition because of Ephesians 2.8. We're saved by grace. And so that becomes our sort of uh, go-to definition. And you've heard the old definition that's been around for years and years and years and years and years, God's unmerited favor. That you're, uh, and it, it, it means that. That's one of the definitions, but that's not the only one by far. Grace is a fairly extensive word in the sense that it has lots of definitions. Number nine, when Paul said grace to you, he probably had in mind the very blessing that the Levites used for the nation of Israel. The one that I read to you, uh, that word grace meant the blessing of God, and so he probably said that as a summary statement for that very prayer. And so instead of writing out the prayer at the beginning of his letters, he just wrote grace to you, and those who read the letter would understand exactly what he was saying, uh, that he was praying that blessing upon them. <clears throat> Let me read it to you again, Numbers 6.22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So then they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. So, if grace to you means all of that, I'm all for shortening things up. Grace to you. That's the prayer that you get from that. Number 10, the Greek word translated grace is the word charis. It's where we get the word charismatic. And uh, it's translated, if you look it up, you can use your little Bible commentary on your computer, type in the word grace or type in the word charis. It's uh, spelled C-H in English. In the Greek, it starts with a... Uh, letter that looks like an X, 
and charis. Uh, Number 11, the word charis was often translated or understood to be power or strength. Power or strength. And it was an inner power, thank you very much, not a physical power. It was willpower, drive. It was the ability to do things. It was a, and so, and in fact, if you take the word charis and you look it up and look at all the ways it's translated, it's translated power about twice as often as, as it's translated grace. And so the word most often used is power, and often even when the word grace is used, it means power. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, For by the grace of God, charis, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me or in me. And so as you look at that, and I would say, okay, there's a Bible study assignment. What's it mean there? Grace. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. I am what I am by the grace of God. What's he saying? He's using the word grace as an inner strength or power from God so that I can live life the way I ought to live it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's charis. 2 Timothy 2.1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's an inner strength that comes from God. Hebrews 13, 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Strengthened to be made strong by grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Acts 4, 33, and with great power Great power of the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and abundant grace was upon them all. They were, were giving witness with power because of grace. Acts 6, 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. God was helping Paul stay humble, to keep him from exalting himself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, power Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That word power, the last one in the sentence, is the Greek word charis, the same word that's used up there where it says, my grace is sufficient for you. So it's interesting, the translators translated the word charis, grace, and in the same sentence translated it power because it basically was a synonym meaning the same thing. Number 12, the Greek word charis is translated gift in numerous places in the sense of present and often has the word free attached to it by the translator. So when you see the word free gift, that's one Greek word, charis. Now the translators, that's the dudes who translated it from Greek to English, 
as they read the, the Greek language and they translate it, they try to understand what it means, they understood that the word charis was often meant gift and it was a gift without cost. The classic passage is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift, that's the Greek word charis, that's translated grace. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're saved by grace. That is a free gift. Number 13, often the Greek word charis is translated gift in the sense of a unique ability given to us by God. Unique ability. So we call that a spiritual gift. It's a unique ability. If you have the spiritual gift of teaching, you have the ability in that unique area to teach supernaturally. That is, the Holy Spirit in you is doing that through you in a narrow capacity. Some have the gift of encouragement. Some have the gift of service. Some have the gift of organization. It's a unique ability because of the Spirit in you, and it's called a spiritual gift. The word gift is the word charis. That's why charismatic uh, denominations that have a high emphasis on spiritual gifts, because gift is charis, so charismatic. And First uh, Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, it's the word charis, Employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the word, again, is used twice in the verse as translated gift and translated grace. Why did they do that? Well, that's what sounded right, as the word has numerous definitions. Romans 1.11, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift, charis, to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Grace was given in order that I could preach well. Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us grace was given. To you, to you, to you, grace was given. That is an ability, a supernatural ability to do something that blesses, benefits, edifies others in the body of Christ. Romans 12, 6, since we have gifts, that's the Greek word charis, that differ according to the grace given to us. So again, you have the word charis used twice in the sentence, one time translated gifts, one tra time translated grace. Each of us to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. 14, the Greek word charis is frequently translated gift or opportunity with authority attached to it in the sense of jurisdiction. So we could call that or use that as God saying, here is an opportunity for you to do something 
for me that matters. Here's an opportunity for you to do something in the lives of people that will make a difference in their life that will last eternity. I'm giving it to you. It's your opportunity and it is a gift, not just a gift in the sense of something that you get for free, but a gift with power that makes a difference. And so you would call that a gift with jurisdiction in that it's yours. And you're the one who can use it. No one else. It's your gift given to you by God. And as a result, he gives you not only the privilege or the opportunity or the freedom, but the power, the resources to accomplish what he gives you uh, successfully. Romans 12, 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So Paul's going to say something fairly pointed here. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And so if I walk up to, to Richard Elkins and say, Richard, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. There's a possibility that he might look at me and think, who are you? Maybe you should consider those words for yourself. In other, in other words, it's a little bit eh, pushy. Moving into somebody's life and saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, you prideful person, you. But think so as to have sound judgment. But Paul prefaces that by saying, by the grace that God has given me, I say this. In other words, God has granted me the authority, the right, the privilege to be able to point out to you an issue or a problem. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 2, For indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. The stewardship of God's grace, that is responsibility, authority, jurisdiction over other people. On their behalf, 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul is saying, I planted the church. And so the church at Corinth, Paul planted. Why did he do that? Because he says, the grace of God was given to me. That is the authority, the permission, the opportunity to plant the church at Corinth. Galatians 2, 9, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me. Recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. They recognized the grace that had been given to Paul. Therefore, they said, bless you, go to the Gentiles. They recognized that God had indeed given them that assignment, that responsibility, that calling. And that responsibility, that privilege, that calling was called grace. Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. We've received grace, that is, an assignment from God to save the Jews, uh, the, the Gentiles. 15, Karas is also translated favor. So I have a t-shirt. Some of you saw it during the five days of prayer. It's a nice t-shirt. It says, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. Favorite. 
What's the Greek word? Charis. Regularly translated favor or favorite. <clears throat> Luke one twenty eight. And coming in, he said to her, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, greetings, favored one. Favored one. Charis. Luke 2.40, the child continued, this is Jesus here, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is Jesus, the grace of God, what was on him? What are they saying that he's receiving from God here? Uh, it's probably favor. God was favoring him, protecting him, blessing him. James 4.6, he gives a greater grace Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives what to the humble? What exactly is he giving? Probably the definition, uh, the way it's used often, favor or general blessing. Sixteen, the Greek word charis is also translated joy, peace, wisdom, gracious, and beautiful. So it's a very multi-definition word. It's used a lot in the New Testament. It's used a lot that's translated grace. It's used a lot translated strength. And it's used a lot translated gift and joy. And 17, of course, there is saving grace, God's free gift neither earned nor deserved, which is the one we're most familiar with. Saving grace, God's free gift, neither earned nor deserved. First Peter 1.10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. That's the grace that we receive when we become a believer in Jesus. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved. Free gift, neither earned nor deserved. Not of yourselves, it is a gift. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. So, back to the blessing. Grace to you. If I were to say that with meaning, I'd be saying all of the above. God's strength, God's joy, God's peace, God's wisdom. When I say grace to you. So I want to show you a prayer that I pray uh, in part or in full for you all regularly. You don't have it on your notes, so I'll just be it on the screen and you can read it with me. I pray for you that you will know that you will know the perfect will of God for your life, that you will not miss it as he reveals it to you, and that you will please the Lord with all of your dis dis discussions. Uh, that's, that should be decisions. I, sometimes... You ever have problems with your spell checker changing words? 
and you don't recognize it until after you're standing up in front of a whole bunch of people and reading it. <laughs> uh, the, you will please the Lord with all of your decisions and choices in life. Now, I've prayed that over and over and over and over and over, so um, it changes a bit, but that's basically the prayer I pray often, that you will know the perfect will of God, that you will not miss it as he reveals it, that you will please the Lord with all your decisions and choices in life. And then I pray that God will give you his strength and wisdom to manage well any opportunity or responsibility that he gives you. Do you know the most often prayed prayer in the Bible? I think I've told you this a billion times. The prayer for strength. So if it's the most often prayed prayer in the Bible, that would suggest something to us, that it's a prayer that God likes for us to pray and is very inclined to answer. So I can do what I need to do because of his strength. How do I get his strength? People will say, well, you depend on him. What does that mean? The easy answer is ask. If you need strength, you say, help! And you say it often and regularly. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Guide me, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord. And so I pray that for you. So the number of times in the New Testament where a person prays for themselves, that's not intercessory prayer, that's praying for me. As you read through the New Testament and look at all the prayers that are recorded there, how many will you find that are prayed for yourself? Paul's prayer for himself when he had this thorn in the flesh that was buffeting him and making life miserable to keep him humble, he said, I prayed three times that God would take it away, and he didn't. Uh, we could say the Lord's Prayer, but the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer would suggest that that's not really for ourselves. It's not give me this day my daily bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. And so there's really no examples, no illustrations, no encouragement, zero in the New Testament for me to pray for me. Every prayer and every example, every admonition is for me to pray for you. And so I'm convinced that if I pray for me, I get a little result. But if I pray for you, the results are, just to use a hyperbole, a thousand times greater. Why? God made it that way so that we would be interdependent. I can't feed me, I can only feed you. I can't help me, I can only help you. I can't pray for me, I can only pray for you. That way we help each other, encourage each other, and pray for each other. Intercessory prayer is the most amazing and powerful force God gives us as the body of Christ to successfully lead and live the Christian life with power. I'll say that again. Intercessory prayer is the most powerful gift that God has given us to live the Christian life with success and victory and power. But it requires that we do it more than meaningless repetition and casual greetings. It means that we would labor earnestly 
labor earnestly for each other in our prayers. Did I, I forget where I'm at here. Uh, the strength, go on from there. The strength to bear up under any trial that comes into your life without self-pity or grumbling. Yeah, you like that prayer? That God would give you strength so that you could bear up under any trial without self-pity or grumbling. That you would stand strong against all the temptations of the evil one and stomp on him. That you would resist all temptations of the world and your flesh and be free. That you would run the race God gives you with endurance to the finish line. Now, as I go down in my app and I read your name, I don't pray this whole thing, but because I know you and I read things that you say in the prayer letter and have conversations with you, certain things will pop into my head as I read your name in regards to uh, the prayers that I pray. It might be for strength. It might be that you won't grumble. It might be that you finish well. Uh, any number of things. I pray for you that God would give you many open doors, that you would recognize them, bold, uh, recognize them boldly, step through those doors, and that you would bear much fruit for Him. Now, if I read your name and I think, I don't think they are doing anything for Jesus. They just live in life, just going to work, paying bills, mowing the lawn, feeding their dog. If I think that, I will pray that. Pray that, God, you would give them an open door, that they would recognize it, they would step through it, and they would bear fruit for you. I pray that for you, that you would have great peace, that you'd be free from any worry, anxiety, or fretting, no matter how tough and unpredictable your life becomes, that you would be full of God's joy that you'd be full of God's joy. And so often when I read people's names, I recognize that they are fretting, they're anxious, they're worrying, they're uptight about COVID or about work, about health, about kids. I pray for you that you would have great boldness and courage to be a fearless witness for Jesus Christ. I, th I pray that for everybody. Every time I pray for everybody, I pray that prayer. I pray for you that the relationships in your life would be characterized by great love and unity. So again, those, there's some in our church whose marriages are struggling. There's some who've got kid problems, whatever. And I pray that prayer. I pray that your relationships and your life would be characterized by great love and unity. I pray for you that you will love the Lord with all your heart, seek Him diligently, know Him intimately, because you are spending time with Him, reading His Word, and praying daily. So I have accountability groups with different people, and sometimes those in the group will regularly say, ah, I didn't read my Bible this week. And so when you do that, I pray that prayer right there. Pray for you that you will love the Lord with all your heart, seek Him diligently, know Him intimately because you're spending time with Him, reading His Word, praying daily. And then I pray for you that you will grow every day in your character and that someday you will stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, perfect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So... I've been doing this for quite a few years, and I write a lot of prayers out. I put them in my little prayer journal under your name. I read them uh, when I get to your name, and because I pray them and read them regularly, they're in my head, in my heart, and 
I work hard at not being uh, meaningless in my repetition of those prayers that I sincerely with my heart pray them for you. And I believe with all my heart that Paul was saying, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you, not as a greeting, not meaningless. But he understood what the word grace meant. All the amplifications of the word. And he was genuinely directing those to the audience that he was writing to. And he understood that there was great power in intercessory prayer. And so I believe as your pastor, my jurisdiction given to me from God, my authority given to me from God is over this church. Jesus said, I don't pray for the world, Lord. I pray for those whom you've given me. And so I say, Lord, you gave me those that are in the church that I pray down through your name, uh, your mind, as it were, in the sense of I have authority with God on your behalf. And so when I pray for you, God listens to me because you are in that realm of the jurisdiction, the authority that he's granted me. And so the last thing I want to do is to be irresponsible and unfaithful with that authority, with that responsibility. And so I faithfully pray every day, every day, and try to get everybody's name covered almost every week. So all that to say, you should be doing the same. Probably not to the extent that I do, but you have kids, you have parents, you have neighbors, uh, you have more influence in my life and Pastor Mike's life in the quality of our sermons than any other thing there is. In other words, the more people pray for me, the more people pray for Mike, the better we preach in the sense of it changes your life. Um, and so you've been given power from God to intercede on behalf of others. You change their life when you do, unless you neglect that power. You're too busy to do it. Uh, it's a goal that you ought to make if you haven't made it. You ought to have some kind of a prayer book, uh, notebook, something where you keep track and you have a routine and you do it faithfully and sacrificially because when you pray, you make a difference in the lives you pray for. You make very little difference in your own life. All right, I went over two minutes. Sorry, let's pray. Father, we love you very much. We pray that you will motivate every one of us to be intercessory prayers. prayers. You admonished us in your word to be devoted to prayer. And we want to be like Epaphras, Lord, who prayed diligently and uh, help each of us to, to do that. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.